Good morning, everybody. We began uh, our uh, study in Renew this year with the book of James, a letter uh, written by the half-brother of Jesus uh, to the church. And we began with this premise, that the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we believe uh, shape our identity and uh, determine how we live. We discovered that our individual stories, and we all have one, only find their true meaning and our understanding of those stories if we put them into the context of the story that the Bible tells. You see, most people come to the Bible and see that it's a collection of a lot of stories, almost like Aesop fables, that there's somewhere a moral in there for us, when in reality the Bible is telling a single story. And that all the stories that are in the Bible only find their meaning in the context of that story. Sometimes music will do this. You know, where where a music will take pieces of other pieces of music and put it within a single melody, and then those pieces of music find their meaning in a bigger piece of music. Antonian uh, Dvorak, who was a Czech composer, did that. He came to the United States and and worked at a conservatory. And while he was here, he began to listen to American music. And specifically, uh, two uh, genres of music really spoke to him. Those uh, Negro spirituals of the 19th and 18th centuries and the Native American music. And so his Ninth Symphony is a collection of those songs with a melody, a fresh original melody that he runs through all four movements of his song. That song, uh, Symphony, became fairly famous because Neil Armstrong took a recording of the Ninth Symphony, which has been more commonly called the New World Symphony, into space with him on his way and played it when he uh, was orbiting the moon. James is a story about suffering. And without the big picture... It is just meaningless and really hopeless. James uses a word that uh, is translated for us, steadfastness. Hupomone is the Greek original word. And here it's used in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. Hupomone, we saw, literally means to stand up or remain under the weight of something, something hard. James is writing to a people who were suffering because they were following Jesus. The Bible is so realistic about suffering because it recognizes that suffering is part of this world since the fall. Though it is what it is, it will not always be so. James reminds us that God does not waste our tears, but even uses them for his loving and good purposes in this world and in our lives. That through suffering, God is often prying Gollum's fingers off the ring of power 
that is literally squeezing the life out of us. Another way to put it is God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So we learned in James. And so this morning, Thea Beltran is going to come and share a little bit about what God has been teaching her. She's one of our our mids and whom we love, who serves in our church. Often in the choir, you see uh, Thea. So Thea, if you will come. Good morning, everyone. So I was born in the Philippines into a Christian family. I grew up attending church every Sunday and Bible studies every Saturday. Why? Because that's what my parents did. In 2006, my family and I moved to the United States. We found a church immediately. The people were friendly, but I felt unwelcomed, and I didn't know why. At the time, I just concluded that I was awkward. I tried to fit in with the kids who were in my age group, but I felt a cultural divide. I just desperately wanted to belong somewhere, especially after leaving everything and everyone I loved in the Philippines. I continued to go to Bible studies every week, but I still felt out of place. On top of that, I was intimidated by how much I didn't know about the Bible, despite my many years of being a Christian. This happened week after week after week for about nine years. While I gained head knowledge of the Bible and maintained a fairly Christian life, I was really... I was not really living my life for Jesus Christ. I was merely behaving as well as I could. But then God gave me a community. My family and I moved to the church called Christ Commission Fellowship, which is CCF in Los Angeles. There, we attended Bible study. It was warm, welcoming, and fun. They took the time to learn our names. We worshiped together, fellowshiped over food and games, At the youth Bible study, I had never seen such excitement towards learning the Bible from the younger generation. It made me excited to learn about God in a different way. I met my best friend and accountability partner, and God also gave me a mentor who not only discipled me, but checked up on me and encouraged me throughout the week. God surrounded me with people who were also in pursuit of a deeper relationship um, for Christ. I felt an enormous amount enormous amount of love from my church and I've never felt before and grew exponentially in my faith. I was starting to figure out what that word community was about. I was starting to see how the church is a community. Through my time at CCF, I knew Jesus Christ not only with my head, but with my heart. When I found out that our Heavenly Father loved me as an individual more than my church could have ever loved me, I was overwhelmed with joy. God reminded me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and not just some awkward, well-behaved girl. When I found my identity in him, I was able to love and accept my imperfect self. Here at EP, we learned we belong before we believe, and I would say that that's true in my life. I belonged in a community who loved me. Then I understood even more the Father who loved me. It all clicked. Upon coming to the Naval Academy, I searched for a community immediately. I knew how dangerous it was to not be a part of one. After much prayer and searching, I joined the Navigators, which is a Christian club on campus, and I started attending EP Annapolis. I was drawn to EP because of that strong sense of community I felt right away. From the warm greeters at the door to the kind church members who flock to the mids and ask them if they have sponsor families, you know who you are. 
to the faithful midshipmen shuttle ministry, I felt welcomed. In short, Jesus used community to change my life. Now, I want to make a difference in someone else. There are a lot of reasons why I joined the Naval Academy, but the main reason is to make disciples of all nations and to spread God's love in the military. In a few short weeks, I'll be going on a mission trip to Uganda, and I want to let every single person there know that they are valuable and so significant, even if the world tells them that they're otherwise. I want people to know how deeply loved they are by their creator. I want to do that in Uganda, in Annapolis, and everywhere else God sends me. Soli Deo Gloria, and thank you. The big story that the Bible tells includes a peculiar people, the Jews. Exodus tells their story and tells their story in three acts. Deliverance from slavery, the journey through the wilderness, and finally arriving in the promised land. This is what Moses writes in chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw them. God heard them, God knew them, so God rescued them. The center of their story and the center of Christianity is that there is a redemption through a substitute. In Exodus, it tells the story of Passover, that is where God sought to free his people, and the only way that the king would let them go is that God brought a judgment on all of Egypt. Death came to visit every household, Jew and Gentile alike, and only those who had made a sacrifice of a lamb and put blood of the lamb on their doorpost did death pass over their home. You see, death came to every family that night, but only those who had the substitute would death pass. Jesus is our final substitute, once for all, the just for the unjust. Having been put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. He was the acceptable ransom to deliver all of God's people in all places and at all times from the reign of sin and of death. And although they and we have been rescued by a single act of our Redeemer, it takes a lifetime to get the slavery out of our hearts and theirs. This is the reason the wilderness took 40 years. It doesn't take that long to walk across the desert. But it took 40 years. 40 years is a generation, a lifetime. They were no longer slaves, but they continued to live as though they were. Evidenced by their longing looks back to Egypt. Their grumbling that we had it better back there. Evidenced by their making and fashioning an idol of a golden calf. Exodus also gives us the glimpse 
that not only that that describes our life as we live in this wilderness that we live in, but also this glimmer of hope that the journey will end in the promised land where the land flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of the long steadfastness in the desert, standing under the weight and arriving finally at home. In the end, God will make all things new, including us. This is our inheritance, which is not some small piece of land that's barely inhabitable in the Middle East, but the whole world. And not just the world as it is now, but this world made new. This story explains to us our own struggles, but gives us hope that we can stand fast under it and arrive at home where there is joy and beauty and goodness and God. All of our stories can only be truly and fully understood in the melody of God's symphony, that beautiful song that the Spirit of God has composed and that the Father sings over us, his beloved children. Now, Brian McVeigh is going to come and share his own uh, journey and some of the things that God is teaching him. Uh, I got to know uh, Brian in a Bible study, a Renew group that we were in uh, last year. He's also involved in uh, legislation, and so I always... Uh, enjoy being around as a formal political science major in a guy who's actually practicing what I learned. <laughs> so, Brian. Exodus. Uh, when Paul DeRue got up here and said, uh, before he read the scripture to us, uh, the, the story of Exodus is our story. It's my story. And this is really driven home throughout our, our time in Exodus. So in, in Exodus 14, verse 10, uh, it starts with, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us and bring us out of Egypt? Is, it not, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And this was made very clear to me during this, this time when we were studying Exodus. So I guess my story begins sort of in, in November. Um, so there was the election that happened, and I had, before the election, charted kind of my dream job, my path, which unfortunately ran through um, the Arizona Senate race, uh, which did not go the way that, that I had imagined that it would. So I was left pretty much shaken and unsure what to do. Uh, the path that I had built collapsed very quickly. Uh, but God was good, and before I even really knew what I was doing and where I was going to go, God provided another job. Uh, and th on Capitol Hill, that's something that doesn't really happen. People, people will search for months, for years sometimes, to find a job. And here I was. I, I went to an event, um, and within the course of about two hours, I had a, a solid lead on a job, and it literally fell into my lap in a way that, I mean, I had no right to, to claim that I had anything to do with it. It just fell out of the sky. Um, 
And that job seemed like the perfect thing, but unfortunately, it it wasn't. Um, through <laughs> through the course of a couple weeks, it turned out that it was just one of the worst jobs I have ever had. <laughs> like this was this was just one of those horror stories. Um, so, and <laughs> funny enough, in our in our renew group that week, we were actually talking about how. You know, the Israelites were dragged um, into the wilderness, and they were saying, well, wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? I was like, yeah, wouldn't it be better to go back to unemployment? I'll take anything. Just get me out of here. Uh, so I was, I was stuck there, and I was praying for deliverance, and deliverance didn't come. And I was starting to wonder, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. But as we were talking, uh, one of the verses that kept coming up in the Renew group was, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And it's like, all right, I'm at the end of my rope here. This is the worst situation I could possibly imagine, maybe with a hint of drama. Uh, and it just kept getting worse. But then um, in January, I went to a wedding with an old coworker. And uh, unfortunately, in my mind, this was a wedding filled with all of the people who had kind of rejected me from my, my previous dream job. So I was thinking this was going to be another one of those just awful situations of, what am I going to do? I'm going to be here with a bunch of people who, who have no use for me, and I really have no use for them. It's going to be all I can do to just not say anything that's going to get me in trouble forever. So as I was sitting at the table feeling sorry for myself, slowly sinking into self-pity and despair as I had been for several weeks at this point, I checked my phone because that's what you do when you're bored as a millennial and you don't know what else to do. Uh, an email came through from this guy and I was like, just wait, did I read that right? It said, hey, you know, I'm a chief of staff on, on the Hill. You know, we heard about you. Do you want to come in for an interview? How about tomorrow? whoa, uh, yeah, I'd love to come in tomorrow. So within the course of about eight hours, I had an interview. And just in the craziest turn of circumstances that only God could, could do, the people who were at the wedding who pretty much, in my mind, rejected me from my dream job, they were all there. And I told them, yeah, you know, I have, I have an interview tomorrow. And they said, oh. And, of course, they were feeling kind of bad because of the circumstances that had unfolded. They're like, well, that happens to be one of my good friends. You know, let me put a word for you. Let me just, you know send something in. And it, God orchestrated things in a way that just, it, it blew me away. Um, out of this circumstance that uh, shouldn't have been good, it, it just, it worked out in a way that only God could do. And I wish I could say that, you know, now everything's been great, but as, as just, just like the Israelites, uh, I was out there and I, I, got, I got a new job that was better than what I, what I could have possibly imagined, and I forgot. I forgot how good God is. And I, I was in the wilderness again and just wondering, well, what's going on? But uh, as, as they learned in Exodus, uh, you have only to be silent. God will fight for you. And that's my story. Uh, God brought me through so much. He continues to bring me through. And I'm just reminded day after day, um, well, not necessarily day after day, but it seems like hump over hump. You get over the hill, you slide down the backside, and then God brings you back out. And it's just a constant journey of of redemption, and this is my story, and I have only to be silent. It's nothing that I could have done, nothing that I would do. Uh, God is 100% doing it, working it, and I'm, I'm along for the ride, and praise God that he is so faithful and that he hasn't abandoned me, and day after day, you know, there are new mercies on the other side. Okay, by now, since we're two-thirds through, you've probably picked up on the theme of all three studies. I am no longer a slave. But I still struggle 
with the temptation to live as though I am. That's been our theme since uh, September of last year till now. You know, uh, this week I uh, attended a uh, Narcotics Anonymous uh, a group, and, and, and one of the things that I walked away from that time is they, even if they don't know uh, all that the Bible says, not all, everybody there is a Christian and there for that reason, they got a biblical truth right. And, and that is, though I have been clean for however t- long of time, and it could be as, as short as a day, all, all the way to years, they are never far from remembering how easy it, it is for them to slip right back into being a slave to their addiction. And I think we who don't have that particular struggle in our lives, but have many others that even some of them can can be acceptable enslavements in our culture, like greed, like gossip, that we can remember we are no longer slaves to fear. That we have been set free And though every day, every moment of our lives is a temptation to look back over our shoulders, back toward that enslavement. And we forget that we are children of God. The last book that we're looking at is uh, Romans, and we're in the middle of it, so I can't say we're totally done. We're not. We're going to take the summer uh, to finish the book. Romans is literally a letter that Paul writes to people he did not know. Fellow believers in the imperial city of Rome. Paul didn't start that church. In fact, before he wrote the letter, he had never been to Rome. And so what does Paul write to people he does not know, but in which he knows their faith? In this letter... Paul gives the big picture that we've been talking about. And he gives a name to it. He calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. He says in verse 15 of that first chapter, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in this gospel, the righteousness that comes from God is being revealed. From faith to faith, first to last, the righteous will live by faith. Paul uses three big theological, thick, thick words, concepts to describe this big story of the Bible. He calls one of those concepts a justification. That is, he's describing the decisive deliverance of his people from slavery to sin by making us right with God again, which is what's unbelievably filled in with this word shalom, 
the Jews would greet one another and part with one another, that it doesn't just mean I'm at peace, but I am whole again. Then he goes on to another concept beginning in uh, uh, chapter 5, and he begins talking about sanctification, which describes the reality that though we are set free in Christ, a work still needs to be done to change us into what we have now been declared righteous. He ends this book, beginning in chapter 12, all the way to the end when we get there, with another concept, glorification, which describes what it will be like when this work is done and Christ has returned and he has made all things new, including this world that we now live in. And he invites us into the process of bringing that about through the church into the world. You see, Paul sees the end now, the end of the story. And those of you who are tempted to read a books that are going to be mysteries and get to the end of the chapter, Paul's like that. Paul sees the end even while he's explaining the present. And he sees it with such certainty that he often uses the past tense to describe the future. This is what Paul calls the Christian's hope. It's not wishful thinking like playing the lottery, but a hope that is not rooted in us, in our faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of God himself a sure and certain foundation. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he a son of man that he should repent. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Or has he ever promised and not made it good? You and I are invited to move further in and further up into the gospel and bring our lives in line with that truth. That's why Paul, as he makes this unbelievable turn in chapter 12, he starts in verse 1 and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, everything I've been saying for 11 chapters, I beg you, is what the word literally means, to present your collective bodies as a singular act of worship that is holy and acceptable to God. Then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so I hope over the last year, if you've been with us, this has been the consistent message that you have heard. I am no longer a slave, but I am a child of God in Christ. And though that I live in a journey of this wilderness until I arrive at home, I will arrive at home. It is guaranteed. Not because I am faithful, but because God is. For God to not get us there would mean that he ceases to be God. And God will never cease to be God. So we will arrive and all things will be made new. So this morning, 
uh, we have another uh, testimony by Katie uh, Gartska, who's going to share with us a little bit of what she's been learning as we've moved through Romans and study in our Renew group. So, Katie, please come. I'm Katie Garska, the wife of a naval officer and mother of four. Over the course of the last 20 years, we've been stationed in eight locations, both stateside and overseas. So we've lived a sojourner's life in many regards. Getting plugged into a church has always been one of our top priorities wherever we've been called to serve, because we have actually been aware of how quickly the foundation of faith provides roots and stability for our family. Naturally, <clears throat> excuse me, naturally, we've been exposed to a variety of churches, large and small, and each church has its strengths and weaknesses. And as Isaac reminded us all last week, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Yet my husband and I so appreciate the heart of Annapolis EP, because the central uncompromising focus is the gospel. Whether it's Pastor Bruce's weekly teaching or the wealth of ministries that impact children and adults alike, it's clear that all faithfully point us to our need for gospel renewal and gospel growth. Our family has been in the area for 18 months now. In the last year, we were here due to the unique constraints of my husband's job. Our family had to streamline some of our involvement. We were able to attend worship weekly and as well as the Sunday school and maintain personal devotions at home. And thankfully, our children were quickly plugged into several of the solid ministry offerings here at Annapolis EP. However, it wasn't until last fall when my husband and I finally jumped into Renew. I joined a delightful mix of ladies, ranging from a youthful bride-to-be to to an active great-grandmother with a joyful, tender, and seasoned spirit that meets early on Thursday mornings, 7.30. (laughs) I have appreciated the study and the application questions that were thoughtfully prepared to help us make the most of our time in James, Exodus, and the first part of Romans. Each week, after letting Sunday's sermon and the Lord's, and the Lord's word mar- marinate a bit, excuse me, we work through the text together. And may I just say that there, is never, there never fails to be a wellspring of laughter, of tears, and keen biblical insight that has poured from the hearts of these women. There is a precious camaraderie and a joy found in fellowship, yet it goes far deeper when we spend time digging into his word, discovering something new that makes us stand in awe of our creator and savior, or simply uncovering a new application for our life. Although each of these ladies has different callings, the common thread that binds us together is that we are all daughters of the king. I hear the hearts of these ladies each week, and I am encouraged to know that they too desire to abide in him, even if the demands of our lives often tug at our attention otherwise. I believe he has knit our hearts together in a way in just that one precious hour each week that we share. It's a time I've come to look forward to, and because it's a place where we can sharpen our understanding, share the encouragement and insight that we've gained in God's word that week. For me personally, these demanding middle years parenting journey and a naval career that's not ending just yet they won't be letting up soon so i'm thankful that for just one hour a week i can dive deeper into a word into his word within community and ultimately find a sheltering place of renewal in this demanding season so i stand here this morning only echoing the same encouragement heard about the goodness that comes from rejoining a renewed group Ultimately, I think this is just one of the passageways that God is using to bring us further in and further up in relationship with him 
so that we may meet, excuse me, so that we may be more effective to impact, to serve, and to minister to our families and to the community that we have been placed in. Thank you.